questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Kay Rubicek, who has a unique and personal perspective on the topic of socialism and its tactics. Kay's family has escaped communism not once, not twice, but three times, giving her a deep understanding of the inner workings of socialist systems and the tactics used by its strategists. She has spent two decades researching and studying original documents to gain a thorough understanding of the topic. We'll discuss the impact of socialist tactics on our education system, economy, and society, and how it's affecting our freedom and independence. We will also be hearing about the common themes and experiences shared by survivors of socialist tyranny and the motivations behind the actions of officials who carried out socialist crimes for their regimes. Kay will be sharing with us some of the most surprising and eye-opening information he has come across, such as the long-term plan of socialist strategists, the concept of softening as a tactic to mentally condition individuals, the shift towards nonviolent tactics, and the role of technology and social changes in the evolution of socialist tactics. Kay is an expert on socialist tactics who has recently released a book, Who Are China's Walking Dead? A personal journey into the strange world of communist culture and officialdom. She has a unique perspective on the topic of socialism, having experienced its effects firsthand through her family's multiple escapes from communism. We will be discussing the current state of socialism in America, the role of big government, big tech, and big corporations, in colluding with media outlets to push socialist agendas, the trend of powerful lobby groups monopolizing industries, and how regular citizens can effectively combat these tactics without becoming like them. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kay Rubicek. Hello, Kay from New York. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that wonderful introduction, too. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Kay, for years I've been discussing this topic, but as the host of this program, I don't like to talk about myself, but on many occasions I've mentioned how my family escaped communism twice, and especially my parents who fled Cuba back to Spain, and now we're here in the United States, and my father, who passed away many years ago, used to tell me every day, and I used to laugh thinking, what are you thinking, when he used to tell me, you take this for granted, don't you? One day, you might just realize that you have nowhere else to go to. And I found you a few months ago on the internet, and I could not stop watching your interviews. I said, I have to bring Kate on, and here you are, Kay. Thank you. It is so true. The more I have been telling my story, more people have said, I have that story too. And that's my story, my family's story is maybe not that unique. Okay, sure, three times we've escaped and I, I have myself spent a, a day in a Chinese prison, but so many people say to me, especially here in America, when they think about it, their family escaped communism too, so many people. And perhaps what is a, a somewhat unique about my story and similar to you is that we're actually talking about it. And I think that's where we can help others realize, look at their own history, learn from their own past, not just from ours, but also theirs. And I think that's something really special because when it connects to your own your own roots, then you start to see things a little bit differently. I, I hope at least, and I think I think we need to learn those lessons like what your father told you. Your family has had the unique experience to escape communism not once, twice, but three times. Can you tell us about your family's story and their motivations behind their decisions to leave each time? What were some of the challenges and obstacles they faced during each of these escapes? And 
Why is it so important to share those stories in today's environment? I think one of the most important aspects to this about why it's so important, but just before I get into the the history of why they left, is that each instance was different. So escaping from Russia in the 1920s, escaping from China in the 1950s, and escaping from the former Czechoslovakia in the 1980s. Communism, socialism all looked completely different at that time. There's, there's the same thread that connects it all together, but and it's the same system, but on the surface it looked different. And that's why I think it's so important that we look at it now, we look at the history, instead of you know, so many people say to me, if they haven't looked at the history, if they haven't seen those ties connecting all of these communist regimes together, they look at it now and they say, well, we're so beyond that. We're so past socialism. We're so past communism. Those are old things. We want new things. What they don't realize is that it's the old things that just masquerade as new things, but they also take new things, communist, socialist. And I, and I use those interchangeably because socialism is a stepping stone to communism and that's all throughout the uh, it's been consistently that way since the introduction of of communism and there's there's different aspects to both but they're essentially the same thing that's why I often use the two to remind people that one isn't better than the other they're two sides of the same coin and whether you call it socialism communism or, or marxism that's the core root of these things then then you re- you start to recognize that these things have the same core but when my family escaped russia in the 1920s my great grandparents had to escape i had two sides of the family both sides were in russia my my grandparents out from my father's side and from my mother's side but what they experienced was well one was religious uh they were both quite religious but you know one side of the family they were business owners Another side were uh, we had priests, we had um, very religious, devout believers, and, but both were persecuted. So when the Bolsheviks took over Russia with the help of the West, with the help of big bankers' money and Wall Street's money, when they took over, the the common people throughout Russia were were basically had to make a choice. Um, they have to become communist and they have to, well, some of them couldn't. If you're a religious believer, you, you you could try and give up your faith, but they may not believe that you even gave up your faith. But my family was certainly not going to give up their faith. And business owners, uh, my family ran a, a flour mill. Um, they That was making bread for the, for the community, their local town. Um, if they gave that up, who was going to make bread for them? And so because they were business owners, they were seen as landowners, as bourgeoisie, and they were seen as the enemy. But to the regular people, they were not the enemy. Um, one of my relatives, they were, were, was running the flour mill, and I've been told from family how he was protected by the local people. They kept hiding him so that he could still continue running the flour mill as soon as the authorities disappeared, but they would come back looking for him and the local people would hide him again because they knew he was not the enemy. But it got to a point where both of my both sides of my family had to have, had to flee and they didn't know each other at the time. They were in different towns. But my father's family, they escaped. It took five years for them to get from uh, the the western side of Russia, walk down through Mongolia. Uh, they were protected at sometimes by the Russian army. That the they were called the Whites at the time. They because the Whites were uh, still trying to protect the the old Russia, the Tsarist Russia, and the Reds, as they called them at the time, were the communists and and those who took over and they they wanted blood. Um, so my my family at the time, communism then. Lenin had said, hang bodies from the trees, hang them in the streets, let people see, see the death and fear me. And those are not exact words, but you can you can see in Lenin's writing what he meant. And that's what my family saw. They saw bodies, dead bodies hanging from the trees in the forest as they were trying to escape. There was times when they didn't have uh, food on the journey or they had to eat raw meat because if they lit a fire, if they had flames, then the Red Army would come and find them and kill them. So it was life and death. 
absolutely life and death. Now, that was Russia in the 1920s. Then both sides of my family, a lot of Russians escaped to China. And then then there was a campaign years later where the Soviets, so now we still call them Russia, but Russia was divided at that point. The Russians, many Russians left and the Russians who stayed became Soviets and the Soviets were communists. And so in there was Russian communities all throughout China, um, northeast China, one side of my family, Shanghai, another side of my family, different experiences. In northeast China, there was times when they just didn't have enough to eat, my father would tell me. And the Russians, the Soviets were trying to bring back uh, after a few after a decade or two, they tried to bring the Russians back and they made promises but they they used communist tactics. And so I, I won't go into the details of that, but what I've seen is that the same tactics are used to manipulate. Um, they use children, for example. They used uh, my, my uncle in, in, uh, in high school at the time in China was being told, you have to grab your father by the beard and you drag him back to Soviet Russia. You must come back. But my grandfather said, there is no way we are going back because we are not Soviets. And they knew they would still be persecuted because they they were religious believers and they knew that communism was evil. They then escaped to Australia, cut that story short. They were very fortunate to have sponsors. Both sides of my family found freedom in Australia. But my, my husband's family... So they were, uh, he was born and raised in the former Czechoslovakia while the Berlin Wall was still up. And his father didn't want to be a communist, but his grandfather, his father's father was, and he was high ranking in the party. In Czechoslovakia at the time, they saw the Soviet tanks roll in and take over their country. And my father-in-law, um, he was he was very clear that he did not want to follow the communists. and. They got to a point, they kept getting more and more political pressure on the family, and they got to a point where they decided they needed to leave, that was, that they needed to have safety and protect their three children, my, my husband being one of them. And they spent six months in a uh, refugee camp in Yugoslavia. They didn't know if they would be sent back to Czechoslovakia or not. If they, if they w- were sent back, they absolutely would have been sent to prison. Another life and death situation. And another situation where freedom is taken away and a country becomes politicized. In every, every, each of these situations, you see the same patterns, the same core values of socialists and communists taking place and being used. But the technology changes, the methods adjust according to the society of that particular nation. And then they also found freedom in Australia, which is where I, I met my husband and we, we were married. Years later, I was in uh, China and I spent a day in a Chinese prison because I broke no law. I knew that, but I was arrested and detained because I held a banner on Tiananmen Square that had three words on it, truth, compassion, and tolerance. And I was holding the word compassion as they arrested me. And I was just shocked that they told me those three words are illegal in China. I was arrested for holding the word compassion in a public place. I broke no law, but for that, I witnessed propaganda creation by the regime firsthand. The same tools and tactics that had been used against my family over three generations, three different countries, and just seeing it face-to-face with these officials, you know, I, I saw and interacted with maybe close to 100 police over the period of 23 hours and how they treated me and and, and the, the people I was with was just, um, it was brutal and it was disgusting. And they were also really, really quite brainwashed. Uh, they just really believed that compassion was illegal. Uh, they tried to tell me things like, that the CIA paid for my ticket to go to China. Of course. of course, right? And they tried to make me sign documents to say that that was true. Of course, those documents were all in Chinese. I wasn't going to sign a thing, even in English, let alone in a foreign language that I don't read. But, you know, I was an Australian citizen. I told them I'm an Australian citizen. I had a good job. My boss knew where I was. My family knew where I was. 
But for them, no, these police said, no, you definitely paid by the CIA to come here. That's their thinking, the brainwashing that the people of China, they've they've experienced much more than any of my family members because in China we see what happens with communism over 77 decades and each generation becomes more and more brainwashed over time, whereas my family had the real benefit perhaps like your family, to be able to see what freedom or to know what freedom was like, experience freedom before communism. And then when communism came, they can actually say, as your father, as you mentioned earlier, your father said, this is not, this is how it is. He could say that because he knew what, what freedom was and he saw the after effects of communism. My family had the same thing. It, three times, three generations, three different countries. But in China today, those people that are being born generation after generation, they don't know anything else. This is all they know. So for them to say compassion is illegal, to us it says we think that makes no sense and there must be some underlying reason. You must have done something wrong, right? But for them, that's normal because they believe everything the government tells them from kindergarten, even earlier, to the grave. So we can see such a, a, a different example in countries like that where communist ideology has been allowed to, to fester and, and, and pervert the mind for decades. And that's, that's where I've put a lot of my research on in these past years is into how, how can they be so cruel? How can they be so twisted? And that's what led me to writing my book, Who Are China's Walking Dead?, and being able to use that um, opportunity to bring together and, and understand my own history and before it's too late, because a lot of my relatives um, who who lived during that time, they've passed. And there's few people that I can actually ask for firsthand accounts now. And and I realise that I've I lost an opportunity with some of them early on because I didn't pay attention. I didn't ask the right questions at the right time. But it's not too late. So um, I'm, I'm taking advantage of that now while I still can because I think we must learn from this history because it's repeating. It's absolutely repeating here uh, in the US and in other, in other parts of the world. But the US is the, is the beacon of hope that people around the world look to as a, as a beacon of freedom. So the last, bastion, the last bastion. And we have many listeners in Australia who tell me all the time, if you guys go... We go, and I'm afraid for my friends and my brothers and sisters in Australia. Well, yesterday we found New Zealand. The prime minister stepped down, all emotional, and I wonder why. But, you know, most people here in the United States, when you talk about communism, especially the ones on the left, they tell you, well, it hasn't been implemented correctly. And you went to China. You had a banner that said truth, compassion, and tolerance. And we've discussed the Falun Dafa here many times. If I had been me, I wouldn't have been only with the truth, compassion, tolerance, I would have said, stop the live organ harvesting of Falun Dafa. Well, at the time, I went in 2001, and that was before we even knew about live organ harvesting. And uh, and just the fact, I, 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 you know, I really thought, I was so naive and ignorant at the time, even though I'd been studying the regime, even though I'd, I thought I knew something about the evils of communism, the fact that that banner simply said truth, compassion, and tolerance in English and in Chinese, and then I was arrested for that, it just says so much. But yes, since then, um, we did we have find, found out about the organ harvesting, and uh, it's it's just shocking. And that's really I was so upset when I first heard learned about that crime. It was two thousand and six when I first learned about it, and um, I did make a documentary movie about it, and I do mention that in my book too, because just that crime, how could people do that? And we're talking about not just organ transplantation where it's it's done for the benefit of the patient with the agreement of the donor. We're talking where, as, as, you've, as you'd be aware, is these people are often had their, having their organs taken out while they're still alive in the removal that kills them. With a paralyzer and no anesthesia. Absolutely. It is so cruel. It is so cruel. And that's where things end up. That's, that's the, the, this utopia of communism is 
all forms of cruelty, all forms of despotic nature and hatred towards each other um, are justified because they say we're trying to get to this utopia. Anything is justified to get there. But imagine what happens if a whole country becomes that cruel to each other, that fearful of each other because anyone could just shoot them in the back at any point in time. What happens then? What utopia are you ending up at? realistically. So China, I say, like to say China is the best example of the worst case uh, that we could meet if we allow socialism, communism to continue on the path that it's been trying to do here and, yes, definitely in other parts of the world. And it's happening. If you look at Hollywood, most of the movie studios are owned by China. Most, most of the movie theaters are owned by China. So they're penetrating by the culture without having to even fire one single shot. But what similarities, Kay, exist between the ideology of Bolshevism and the current political climate in, in the United States, Australia, Europe? Well, you just hit on a really big one there, entertainment. So you look at Hollywood. Um, the Bolsheviks, Lenin, Stalin, they knew very much that if they could control Hollywood, if they could control uh, the entertainment industry. Remember, in the 19... 1940s, Hollywood was making amazing movies. Sure, they were black and white, but you can rewatch them and they're, they're classic movies. Even before that, they were making movies. And uh, the Soviet Russia, Russians, they pioneered video editing with their propaganda techniques. And me being a filmmaker, I've studied those as well. And they had scientists who were studying the effect of putting one photo or moving pictures, a set of moving pictures next to another one, next to another one, what that does to your mind. They also studied when you when you put music or certain sounds next to certain pictures, what effect that has not on just on your, your mind, but also your 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 whole body. Because we are as human beings, we feel things, we have emotions and and people go to the movies because we want to feel something, right? We want to, you want to feel something. So we open ourselves up. We sit in a, a darkened room for a couple of hours and we open ourselves up to whatever's put on the screen. And those who hold the keys to art and entertainment are driving the culture. And if that is politicized and infused with um, the ideology of socialism, communism, we don't even feel it. We don't even know it, but we are slowly being changed. And this has happened. The Bolsheviks, they really started this and they continued it. They 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 never stopped that. Um, and, and those who had a taste of communism in, in Russia, Soviet Russia, they didn't just disappear after the Berlin Wall fell. I mean, we're, we're so naive to, to really think that the Berlin Wall fell and and the USSR was was renamed and then and then what those leaders who had a taste of essentially playing God um, that they just decided to retire and and uh, go and start gardening or write a book no no those those people who are running those strategies they've they're doing it in different ways now and they're passing it on to to others this is this is a very long-term plan that's another thing that's consistent with socialists and communists is they think very long term and they want us to think very short term so today we have our technology and i'm i'm all for technology i'm not against it i think we can use it for good for good purpose absolutely but we are so attached to these tiny little screens that we scroll down through before it was our, our computer screens and, and instead of reading books, we started reading blogs and articles online. Then on these screens now, we're barely even reading headlines. We're just scrolling through 10 seconds of a video, if that even, two seconds, three seconds, then we're on to the next thing. That is absolutely perfect for socialists and communists who want to control our minds. They've been able to utilise media and arts and entertainment they take control of the media organizations that present news. They utilize the technology at whatever it is at the time. They've done it over the, for the last hundred years. Right now, it's our smartphones, it's our digital devices. And they want us to think very short term because that way we don't hold anyone accountable. We forget that communist regimes have killed 
hundreds of millions of people, more than any other, more than world wars combined. The death toll just from Mao Zedong alone is is well over all the other dictators and, and, and brutal murderers in history. So, but we're not taught that in schools. And this is... Why? Why? I don't mean to interject, but I always say this. Why do we talk about six million Jews? And why don't we talk about the over 100 million people, especially in Russia, Ukraine, and China, and the rest of the world? Yes, so many places around the world. Why? There's there's never been any trials. There's no Nuremberg trials have been held for communist regimes. No communist dictators have been held accountable for their brutal crimes, for any crimes. And we look at China and say, for example, oh, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, the so-called president, he's a, he's a dictator. It's a, it's a total monopoly there. He, he may take some officials and say, I'm putting them into jail for corruption. And then the West will take a look and say, oh, something's happening. Okay, well, someone's being punished for something. The crimes are never coming out. But for Nazi Germany, we had the Nuremberg trials. Even what was it just last year? The the oldest uh, surviving uh, perpetrator was given a, a sentence for uh, their, and, and they weren't even. I think it was an. I believe it was an admin, administrator, a female administrator, and I, I can't remember her, her name. But she was uh, found guilty of uh, being an accomplice to the the crimes of the of Nazi Germany. They, I was, I've been taught in school all about the Holocaust, but I was never taught about communists. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, we've been taught to believe that when the Berlin Wall fell, that communism fell, but, but it hasn't. The tactics have changed, the methods have changed, but the socialist ideology has been penetrating our school systems in, in the West, certainly Australia and Canada, uh, Europe very much so, and America in a different way. And so what we're seeing now is just the, the latest version of socialist ideology, but it's seeping through. And when you read the, the doctrines and the speeches of socialist dictators and their, uh, their leaders and researchers over the last few decades, they've all said that. America is a special place. It needs to be treated in a special way. You can't just come in and violently take over the nation. Well, one, we have the Second Amendment. Americans are allowed to carry guns, in gen generally, depending on the state, of course. Australia, don't have that option. Canada doesn't have that option. Europe, no way. So America is the only country that has that founding as one nation under God, where the Pledge of Allegiance recognizes a divine creator um, throughout. There used to be Ten Commandments on the walls in public places for a long time throughout the country. But slowly, slowly, these things have been removed to the point now where kids these days are not being taught the basics that Americans were taught uh, a few decades ago and that kept America, America. Now Americans have been taught to look down on themselves, criticize themselves, criticize patriotism and nationalism and say that we, we need to change. Well, and that's a socialist tactic. They want us to think that. And outside around the world, I, when I was in Australia growing up, I was taught to love Coca-Cola, love Hollywood stars, eat McDonald's, but hate America, to think that Americans are selfish. That's what I was taught. And when I was moving to New York, I had friends saying to me, why would you go to America? You might become American. And they were, they were <laughs> genuinely worried for me. I didn't understand what that meant. And then when I came here, how wrong all that was. I've, I've traveled to almost half the states in this great country, and I've been able to see for myself I like to go off the beaten track. I like to read the local media wherever I go, not just the big press. Uh, I like to meet people and, and I've done interviews with more than you know, a few hundred Americans across the country. And they are very good people, as you would know. Americans are not what the propaganda of the socialists have been telling the world to think. 
And Americans are not selfish. America is founded on this uh, amazing, um, these amazing principles. But the world has been trained through intentional strategies by socialist strategists to look down on America. And it's been working through the education system here in the US to make Americans look down on themselves. That's what we have to change. I think that's one of the core things we do have to change is to get back to the roots and not be fooled by um, intellectualism and people who say that they're smarter than us. But the average American, you know, when they're using their brain, um, they know what's going on. And that's that's what we really have to get back to, I think. Well, it is more than obvious to me that you embody the essence of your ancestors who escaped multiple times. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I presume that you chose this country because you thought this is a free country. I mean, you embody more Americanism than most Americans that I know. You appreciate it. You don't take it for granted. But what you were mentioning about Hollywood, let me just bring this up. I mentioned this all the time. And since you're, a, you're in the film industry yourself as a filmmaker, you probably know this. We have Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis. His nephew was Edward Bernays the father of modern-day propaganda, and his great-nephew, Mark Bernays Randolph, is the founder of Netflix. So when you watch Netflix, you're mostly watching propaganda. It's all over the place, Kay. It absolutely is. I have two teenage children, and, well, I guess they're not children anymore. They're, they're growing up very quickly. And But as a parent, I felt it was my um, obligation. I felt obligated to, uh, well, also they had to put up with me analyzing all the media and things like that uh, around me. And um, I wanted them to be able to think. I wanted them to be able to um, discern what they were watching. So I would allow them to go to movies, uh, but I'd say, I'm coming with you and we're going to have to talk about it later. And and that 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 worked really well because they could take all their friends and and everything and and we'd we'd always make it a fun time. And so no one no one minded that I was there. But afterwards, uh, you know, I, I don't want to preach on these things, but I want them to think and recognize uh, what's what they're watching and to think about, uh, look at who made it and who, who funded it. Why did it have those things in it? Why did it have those characters? And uh, we we need more of that um, out there because we need that being we really need that media analysis in schools. There used to be subjects like that in school, but I, I believe a lot of them have been removed. But we need to be looking beyond the headlines, and and I know it's hard because so many people they just don't want to think, and we want to zone out. So finding it's but but we have to know when to zone out and what we can zone out to. And, and the Hollywood movies are not something that we can just zone out to if you haven't done your homework first. Check it first. Look at the parent guide. There's a parent guide on IMDb. Um, there are PG-13 movies that have far more dangerous content in them than R-rated movies. Uh, Lord of the Rings number one is rated R, whereas there's other PG-13 movies that have a lot more brutality, drug scenes, sex scenes, and things that really and, and disturbing content that they should, in my opinion, um, but I look at the standards, I think they should be rated R. And so there isn't a consistent standard in in my opinion, and that's why parents have to do the homework, um, not just on, the, on their own. They can, you know, you can talk to other parents, you can talk to your school and, and get the community involved because when you want to just sit down and just relax, you need to know what you're watching because as you sit there, that stuff goes into your head. And I know it's too much work to be sitting there thinking and analyzing. I like to just sit back and watch a movie too and have a laugh or have a cry or whatever. And, and it's good. That's a good thing. But we have to really be careful with the messages that go into us because we absorb all of them. So knowing which media you can trust, um, always asking questions, doing a bit of homework before you watch something, uh, having discussions about it afterwards, I think that's how we can become more discerning but I'm seeing a trend that people are doing that. Absolutely. You look last year, Top Gun was number, uh, Top Gun Maverick was for more than nine months, was in the top 10 movies. 
okay, there weren't many other movies being released, not as many as normal, but there were still plenty of other movies that could have taken that slot, but they, they, people didn't go out to see them. So I always tell my kids, we vote with our dollars. Sure, you know, voting is important, but we vote with our dollars every yes. single day. Who are you paying? Are you paying a local business? Do you even know if that business, do you, do you know the business owner? Do you know anything about this company? Maybe they're just buying, shipping everything over directly from China. Who knows? You only know if you think about it. So I always try to keep that top of mind and teach my kids that too. You know, let's, they, they want me to buy something. I'll say, where does it come from? What's the company like? Do you really want to give them our money? And then they might come back with an alternative and say, we'll buy from this one, mum. What do you think? And I'll say, good job. Let's, <laughs> let's, you know, some, do something to celebrate them, uh, having that level of discernment. So these are things that I've, I've worked into my life. And, uh, and, and I try to share with others too. And I know that other people already are doing them themselves because we're seeing trends in society with more media popping up and more movies coming out from different companies and starting to have an impact on Hollywood because Hollywood will follow the money. Sure, they do have socialists, uh, you know, that, could, that are controlling a lot of the narratives, but they will also follow the money. And if we don't vote for their products, they won't keep making those. That's right. Go woke, go woke, go broke. And the reason why Top Gun was number one was there was no woke stuff there. People wanted the nostalgia. People just wanted the, 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 the what we're used to. Now you go to the movies and you have to say, why do they have to have all this woke stuff? But I want to get into the education system for a moment. You have a million stories, I have a million stories about what my family shared with me. I have one quick one that I've never mentioned, I believe. But when the revolution started in Cuba, one of my aunts, she was a third grade teacher at a private Catholic school. And she was teaching her class. And all of a sudden, two militia men came inside of the room. There was a crucifix behind her above the blackboard. And they came because they wanted to change it for the picture of Fidel. So they removed it. They put it on. And then... He asked that they asked my, my, my aunt to step aside and I want to talk to the children now. Okay, children, we want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray for that crucifix that was here before and pray to Jesus that you're going to get some candy. Just open your arms and just extend your, your hands and pray for a minute. All of a sudden, nothing, right? Open your eyes, no candy. Now close your eyes. Now pray for Fidel that he's going to give you candy. And all the militiamen came one by one and put candy on their hands. And when they opened their eyes, oh, my God, we love Fidel. We have candy. Just one figment of a story of how they start brainwashing people, Kay. That is very powerful. It is so powerful, isn't it? Because if you start at, at the youth, uh, I think it was Lenin who said, give me the youth for one generation and it'll change the world. Um, kids are so impressionable. We see that all the time. And we're responsible for them. And if we hand them over to the state, then we can't expect much more. And, and what I found in studying the socialist tactics, but also the brainwashing and propaganda tactics, is that our strongest, one of our strongest protections against brainwashing is, is having strong family ties, knowing that someone's got your back, someone on this world that's got your back, of course, having faith in, in a greater being and, and a greater purpose, greater mission it will, will protect you and take you so far. But in all the brainwashing studies, and many of them done by scientists, um, really showed that those who survived had someone in this world that uh, was worth living for, who needed them, uh, that that they wanted to protect, uh, and, and they were able to survive so many horrific things um, because they had those ties. Whereas if kids are just given over to the state through the schools and the schools start to break down that family unit and, and start to take them away from the, the parents. And if parents let that happen too, we're also busy. You know, we forget how, how important our roles are as parents and, and everyone's trying to make ends meet. It's really hard. But if, if we really understand the importance of the family unit, and really, as, as a way to fight back against socialism, that is one of the things people say, well, what can I do? Um, 
against the big bad government. And, and I say, well, the first thing you can do is strengthen your family and, uh, and don't give the big bad government the, you know, any, any big bad government the power to it from your, from your fear because they, they control us through fear and, and really trying to break down, um, the family unit by taking control of the children is, is a tactic that they've had. And your example just is, you know, hits the nail on the head with that. It's a very clear example, very powerful. Well, I, Lenin said it, four years, it only takes four years. He said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. But it's important to understand how it's impacting our education system and our youth. I'm sure many of us are concerned about what's happening in our schools and what our children are being exposed to. Can you share with us specific examples of how socialist tactics are being implemented in the education system and the impact it's having on our youth? Well, in the last few years, we're seeing this this woke culture, the sexualization of children, um, and that's coming out in the public. And that came out because of COVID. If there was any benefit from the lockdowns, uh, that was one of them. And because parents got to see what children were learning, it was really hard to get access to that earlier on. Uh, when my kids were in elementary school, I didn't always get to see what they were, know what they were learning in school. And I would see certain things, but also because I have a background in education, I knew that I could go, you know, I knew which websites I could go to, to find the curriculum for the state and all of that. But that's really hard work. And most people wouldn't even know where to go, even if they had time to do it. So parents didn't know what was going on. But what we saw come out through COVID and the, through the lockdowns and the outrage that parents have, um, have, brought now to the public has been going on for a long time. That's the result of a long-term plan. You don't just get kids suddenly thinking, you know, females suddenly thinking they're boys or boys suddenly thinking they're girls or the kids suddenly thinking they're a cat. You don't just have that happen overnight. That is a very long-term plan. And at the beginning, they didn't think, you know, the socialists, you know, when I read their documents, they didn't say we will push uh, transgenderism in the year 2020. Um, they knew that they just had to take control of the educational institutions, which they did in the 60s and 70s. They started to put in very liberal, um, progressive, they called them uh, professors into universities. They trained the primary, the elementary school teachers, the middle school teachers, the high school teachers. Um, and a, a, as you said, four years, like, like Lennon said, four years. We've had, uh, what, 40 years plus of college students going through and being trained for a profession. And myself, uh, when I was in college in Australia, I was I was doing a Bachelor of Arts and I thought that I was going to learn some art, you know, and improve my art skills. What I was pushed to do was contemporary art and, and I was doing very, very well at it. I was following what my teachers were telling me. I was young and I learned the techniques. Meanwhile, some of the older students in my class were all failing, getting dismal results because they were doing traditional painting or sculpture and they all were failing. And I was looking at what they were doing and then thinking, wow, it's really beautiful. They were doing fantastic work. But then the work I was doing was, was virtually trash. And I thought if I keep going down this path, um, it's a very dangerous path to go. And so I was very fortunate that I was, I recognized something was wrong. I started to look into the indoctrination after that um, of the of socialism in the um, education system. And again, as we mentioned Hollywood before, arts education uh, has been a primary target. You know, they didn't start with mathematics. They didn't start with maths, right? Because math numbers, what can they do with numbers? Well, we know now that they can put stories into our maths programs for elementary kids and start adding woke culture. But they didn't start with math. They started with stories. They started with storytelling. 
the same reason why they always start and get control of arts, media, culture, entertainment in every nation that they take over. They politicize everything. This is consistent through every country that has been subjected to communism. So here we had the the arts was taken over by socialists. And that's why we have these things on the wall where you go to a gallery and you look at it. It's like it's like the emperor's new clothes story. You look at it, you know it's really ugly or it's really stupid. Or you look at it and you say, my dog paints better than that. But it's on the big white wall, it's in the big white room and it's it's a very expensive place and it's got a big price tag on it and all the smart people are saying that's special. So you start to believe it too. And it's it's just just like the emperor's new clothes story, where the emperor was fooled into thinking that he had invisible that he had the, the most beautiful cloth in the world, and and that only the smartest people could see it, and that imbeciles, stupid people, couldn't see it. And because he couldn't see it, he thought, well, I can't let anyone know that I'm stupid. But of course, he wasn't stupid. He was being duped the whole time. So I really think so much of our entertainment industry and arts industry, um, we've been duped. We've been taught to think. And I experienced it in college myself as an art student. I was taught to think that that stuff is great and that I should be trying to twist my mind even more to make more things make sense and justify really poor, awful, ugly, crappy art. And um, whereas, and, and to look down on the beautiful things and say, no, 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 that's that's no good. It's tw- It twists reality to the point where, as I mentioned earlier, in China, truth, compassion, tolerance, those three words are illegal and I was arrested for that. That's where socialism gets you to, that ideology where you can look at a piece of a beautiful painting and you can say, that's illegal. And you can look at a a piece of maybe even a piece of trash in an art gallery and say, it's brilliant, it's worth $10 million. This is a twisted ideology and it's politicization of every part of society. So through the arts in, in, in the United States, the arts and all the other education system uh, uh, fields, but the arts is the primary one that they took over, social studies, uh, all of those arts degrees, and then it started to permeate into others where we get to a point now where even math problems a math worksheet will have some um, transgenderism story in there to normalise this behaviour for children so that they think that's normal in the same way that we, a few generations earlier, were taught to think that sticking a piece of trash on a wall and putting it up in an art gallery is brilliant and worth millions of dollars while a, a beautiful painting um, is, is worth nothing. So this is the how the ideology twists our society and makes us think that the emperor is wearing beautiful clothes when really he's not. <laughs> I have a doctor friend whose ancestors came from North Korea, and he told me the story of how when the movie Titanic made it to North Korea for some reason, because they don't, they don't allow Western movies, but it made it, people could not understand the fact that there was a love connection between the guy and the girl when in North Korea the love is only dev- the devotion only goes to the supreme leader. The husband is just a, a, you know, somebody to make babies with. So they can understand that. But do you believe, Kay, that the COVID lockdowns led to a greater centralization of education, which may be aligning with certain socialist doctrines? Oh, oh definitely. I think they've, the socialists, communists, they take advantage of every shift in society. And the COVID lockdowns just had such, such an impact Um on all of our lives, I mean, we've we've just seen the impact it's had had on on education. The kids have lost years of of their learning, and now we're struggling just to even get enough teachers to keep uh, kids in schools. And the the standards for education have dropped so they they just keep dropping lower and lower. And now that the debate is 
woke culture is coming out publicly and that all this education is being exposed from the school system, that's also distracting us from the real root problem. Uh, the root problem is, is that our education system is promoting socialism. It's not a, it's not a, a sure, we, we should be concerned about the sexualization of children and, and what's being taught in schools. Absolutely. I think that's, that's very, very important. But now it's being used as a distraction to divide us. So that's another tactic. Uh, that has been well used by uh, socialist strategists throughout history, where they they pick a social debate, uh, a social issue, they politicize it. Uh, identity politics is is one of them. Uh, in in China, right? They first they went after the the landowners, they went after the religious people, they went after each group one by one. Same thing in Soviet Russia, same thing in Cuba, it, right? And then here. Now they are going after, uh, they're using the debate in school because it's come to the surface through the lockdowns, the COVID lockdowns. Maybe if it hadn't come to the surface, uh, we wouldn't be having these types of debates. We might be having different debates in the public. But now that it's coming publicly, uh, we now have these debates through the the medical system, through the school system, through uh, local communities, parent groups, all saying we need to change the education system. So, yes, I think it did have a negative impact, the COVID lockdowns on education, but I also think that it helped to, it helped a lot of parents see what was really going on and get access to information that they needed to know before, but it was very hard to get access to. So I think that was, if anything, one, one small benefit. I always told my listeners to listen to my interview with, with Charlotte Isserby, the author of The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America, but I call it the world. But the idea of big government, big tech, and big corporations colluding with media mouthpieces to, to push socialist agendas in certainly, you know, a concerning issue. It's important for us to understand how this is playing out in society and the impact it's having on our freedom and independence. Give us some specific examples again of how this has occurred in recent years and the effects it's having on our society. Well, media is news. Media is something we haven't we haven't talked much about uh, today. I think that's such a big, uh, important example too. Entertainment and the arts, I think, is a core uh, aspect that that socialists always take take control of. They, they're controlling Hollywood. They're controlling the movies that we see and all of that. Bit through money, uh, a lot of it is through money, but also the media now. Uh, and it's not just now; it's been happening for some time, where. You look at who is the editor for different media, where were they trained, which organizations are they a part of, and some of these uh, organizations that many of these editors are connected to are connected to uh, globalist groups. Um, many of the media right now in the U.S. are receiving uh, a lot of funding from the Chinese Communist Party. Perhaps that's dropped down in the recent 12 months or so because of the devastating situation in China right now. But here in the US, our media have been very much bought by China. Uh, and even to the, and another example is um, film festivals. So we always think that film festivals are pretty independent, that there's just a group of judges in a in a certain town or something that will decide who's going to, uh, which of the films submitted will win. And as a filmmaker, I've submitted to many film festivals and we've won many awards, but so many film festivals have told me that they're too afraid to screen my movies about China because they're receiving funding from China. And specifically, the Chinese Communist Party. You can't separate the two right now. The, the CCP is controlling China. And there was uh, one film festival. Uh, we found out they had been. Uh, they claimed to be very independent, and they had been receiving around hundred thousand dollars a year from the CCP. This was pre-COVID, and. They, but part of that, the CCP doesn't say very specifically uh, that you can't screen these movies. They just say, hey, we're going to give you this money. This is our advertising money. But they know if they put a movie into that festival that criticizes the CCP or, or human rights abuses in China, exposes them. No more funding. 
Exactly. So this is how so many Americans have been bought out, not just film festivals, but film companies. But there are still some with guts. This particular film festival, when our last movie, Finding Courage, came out, they fired the CCP that year and we won a gold prize and they screened our movie. So, but there's so many companies, colleges have done the same thing. American colleges have said, oh, we're screening your movie. We make all the arrangements. And then last minute, uh, uh, they call to cancel and say, we have too many students from China. We're worried about losing funding from the CCP. And this is where they think China and the CCP are one and the same. Whereas if you think about it rationally, China's got a, con- is a country of 5,000 year history. The CCP is only what, around 100 years, 100 years old. China existed long before that. It's like trying to say that America is the Democrat Party or America is the Republican Party. Uh, We know it's not and we know it shouldn't be, but we get duped into thinking that China is the CCP and that the two cannot exist without each other, which is ridiculous. But, yes, so, so many of our media... Uh, news media are controlled by these financial ties to communist regimes. And that's why people say to me, why didn't that story come out in the news? Why didn't that one come out in the news? And I say, follow the money. You look at the media organization and you look at where their funding comes from, and then you start to understand why they censor. And, and that's why we really have to look for different media organizations and don't just vote with our dollars, but also vote with our clicks, with our likes, with our shares. When you share an article, you're voting for it. When you, when you click and, and watch it, uh, when you click like, you're voting for it as well. You're helping to keep that media company going. But fortunately, we've seen so many people stepping away from a lot of the mainstream media in the last year or so when they've realized that they've been uh, really taken over as mouthpieces, so many of them, by corporate interests and socialist interests, not in our interests. And they're censoring and trying to constantly manipulate us and feed us propaganda in so many ways. But I'm just so inspired by people stepping away from that and seeing For example, market share going down on a lot of these big media corporations. That's the result of Americans saying, no, thanks. I'm not voting for you anymore. And that's what we really need to see a lot more of. I love to interview people like you because true journalism, and you are one, is a species in extinction. If you turn on the TV right now, if you can read, if you're attractive, whether you're a male or a female, you have a job. But everything's being fed from the same source. What happened to creating the news, going out there on the beat and getting the information for the six o'clock news? That's gone, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's um in in my book I I um I, I show a page, a slide from a training, a compulsory training in China for journalists. Uh, compulsory for journalists <laughs> in the whole country, right? And it says in there that news, that they do not report the news. They report for the government, that they do spin. They don't do news. They do propaganda. They don't do stories. They And, and I've interviewed so many journalists from China, former journalists from China, but some of them really um, were in very senior positions. And they said that it's, it's very clear um, it was made very clear to them that they must report on what they are being told to report and they must uh, reduce and soften the reports that would have negative impact on the the regime or their uh, sponsors and, and things like that. So the news in China is not news. There is no independent news. There is, um, it's all controlled opposition from some of the, you know, the ones that look like they're being independent, they're still controlled. Everything comes under the scrutiny of the party and the party is above all. So that's China. It's an extreme there. But that's what our media here is, is, has, has been funded a lot by and what we're selling out to 
we're selling out for short term a few bucks. We're selling our our souls for we're selling the soul of this nation for a few bucks to China, and and look where it's got our manufacturing industries. Look where it's got uh, so many of our jobs and over the past decades. But the media here, they. Now we're starting to see that the media here have that narrative. People didn't see it so clearly before. Uh, in, in my last movie, Finding Courage, we had a scene where we showed um, all of the different news anchors from across the nation repeating the same lines exactly the same way as if they were reading from the same script, and they were. Now we see that in America. We didn't see that too many years ago. It wasn't so obvious. But now it's very obvious. To me, our journalists are becoming more like China, which is propagandist. It's not journalism, as exactly as you said. And it is a dying breed because um, we are not putting the value in it ourselves as readers. We have to value journalism. It means, again, voting with your clicks and your likes and sharing the independent news and not promoting um, news that you don't align with, companies that you don't support. Don't go there because every time you do, you're giving a job to someone who is not going to use their brain. They're just going to read what script they've been given instead of someone who is going to do more research, present you something that uh, has taken them time and effort um, and, and risk. There's great risk in, in true journalism and there's not too many media outlets willing to pay for that because they're worried a journalist might do something that makes them look bad or makes their sponsors look bad. That's the risk that we need media organizations to take to really keep hold our government to account. There are some doing it. I was working for Epoch Times last year in NTD television. Um, it, it, I was able to report in a way that um, uh, it sometimes would upset the viewers. You know, I did a report where I knew some of the viewers were not going to be happy because I had someone who was, uh, you know, more on a, a, the other side of politics. And uh, but I thought I need to show the truth, and uh, I was really impressed that the uh, the editors allowed me to do that, and uh, and encouraged me to do reports on both sides and show both sides of an issue. And I felt, and I took heat for that uh, as a journalist. I took heat from uh, comments from viewers who criticised, um, but there was also a lot of viewers who were grateful, and I believe there's more people that are grateful for the reporting we do than the the loud voices who who want to complain about something. So as journalists, we've got to take that heat. Uh, as companies, we've got to take the heat. Media have to be willing to take that risk, fund that journalism, and viewers have to be willing to support that because if you just want easy, quick feeds on your your mobile device and, and you're not going to support independent media uh, and you're not going to download their apps or subscribe to their systems, you're just going to be fed lies and, and propaganda and it, it will only get worse. So now is the time where there's still a chance where we can we can push things back and I see things being pushed back but we have to really help push it back. We have to be proactive in that and it needs to be done. We need more media organisations taking that risk and then, then we can really see some accountability and things changing and I'm seeing glimmers of hope in, in that this year a lot more than we have seen in the past two years. So I'm, I am optimistic about that, and I think we need to stay optimistic. But but also, we have to have reality checks too. But I, I am seeing um, positive changes heading in that direction, which which is very hopeful for me. Well, this is why you're you're here today on a truly independent journalism platform. We have to take a one and only break, and when we come back, I want to continue discussing the powerful lobby groups. If you look around you and you see, I'll say the name, Walmart, all the moms and pops businesses that I was used to going and, and patronizing in the past are gone. Then we have the gargantuan Amazon. Uh, it's very convenient to people, but think about what that, what's gonna happen when they dominate the market and they can increase the prices the way they want it. Also, I want to discuss the testimonies that you've had from survivors of socialist tyrannies. You also recently wrote a book, which is out, Who Are China's Walking Dead? I want you to mention that when we come back, too. I've titled this show, Nowhere Left to Run, because you wrote a book that's part of your title, but because of my family's telling me all the time, Nowhere Left to Run. 
And I added uncovering the truth on the, on the dangers of socialism. Kate, how can people learn more about your work, by your books? Please go to my website. It's just my name, krubacek.com. That's K-A-Y-R-U-B-A-C-E-K.com. And you can get them all there. You can find me on Amazon, but I always, I always appreciate when you when you buy it from the uh, from the author, the from the creator. Oh, exactly. you exactly. Yes. Yep. Vote with your dollars. Absolutely. Well, folks, one more hour to come with K. Rubicek. This is Mel Hustlerick, and you are listening to Veritas. Thank you for Good listening morning. to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe today. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, Just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share the video. Click on the notification button to be alerted when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. (laughs) 